once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Joining me as always, Nathan Bartleball. Nathan, what's going on, man? Hey, not much. How are you doing, Nathan? Doing all right. I am super excited for a guest that we have on. And we're actually uh, going to be getting some guests next week as well. But before I get ahead of myself, we are pleased to have Greg Dutcher joining us again. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you, dudes? I love being back. I'm admit it, man. I'm just a tired old guest that you're like, we couldn't get the real guest in. So let's see if Dutch was around. <laughs> and honestly, I love being that guy. Uh, I love it. Greg, you'll always be second choice in our hearts. <laughs> well said, dude. Well said. I always number two. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. And I told you guys before we started recording, you know, the, the day we're recording this is me and Lisa's 26th anniversary. So you could tell what a what a uh, stellar husband I am by the fact that I'm here doing this podcast. Give us a um, uh, text tomorrow on how the uh, couch felt tonight, Greg. Yeah, <laughs> couch. What? What? Am I getting an upgrade? <laughs> I thought you meant the the front walk, you know, by the hedge. I, uh, you know, me and the uh, the owl are gonna, you know, uh, be buddies here. But no, I uh, we didn't have anything big planned. You know, we're recording on what is today, guys? Thursday? Today's Thursday. Thursday. Right? Yeah, yep. that we're. Uh, recording, so we're we're gonna go away um, here in a few days, and uh, yeah, I know I I am totally uh, I've got total blessing to do this. I'll say that nice and happily. So. You've been authorized. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Yes, indeed. That is great. Well, we have a uh, great episode today. I'm looking forward to this. We have been speaking on and off about things that have been going on with. COVID. And one of the things that we have come into is that different states, uh, and not only just different states, but also different counties, different districts have decided to open up certain things. Um, Nathan, we've, we've kind of been in talks on and off throughout the summer about, you know, things that are going on with the public school system. Uh, I believe uh, not only here in Baltimore County, but also, Greg, up where you are in Hartford County, they're making the decision to start off all remote. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, they um, first semester, so first two quarters, I want to say that I think that goes all the way to like January 24th, 25th, somewhere thereabouts. It's going to be all virtual. In fact, today, uh, my son, Ben, who is going to be a senior this year, I took him to his high school where they A through D today. So Dutcher's turn was up. They got their, their county issued Chromebook or laptop, whatever it was, um, that every student gets for virtual learning. So, um, yeah, we're all homeschoolers now, whether we want to say you give him the, give him the tour orientation for his classroom this year. Yeah, that's right. Here's a kitchen table. Here's the kitchen table. (laughs) Right, yeah. Also doubles as the cafeteria. Right. Exactly. And uh, my my daughter, you know, who um, is at college, she goes to school in uh, Southwest Virginia, and she she took this past year off, but this year she's resuming her junior year, third year, and uh, she could go to the campus, but she has four classes. The school's leaving it up to each prof what they want to do. Um, and just a week ago, 
well, three of the four had already said they're, they're, they're going to go virtual. And then the fourth one was on the fence and she's gone virtual. So Samantha has just, with our, you know, kind of guidance, I think we all saw it. So what is the point in going down there in a dorm to take all your courses on a laptop? Yeah. Um, so for this first semester, she'll be home. So we're going to have all four of our kids and we're trying to give them enough space to divide and conquer. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know speaking to a lot of families, that's, that's kind of the thing that's going on. Children, you know, parents thought they were going to be empty nesters. Uh, and, and now all of yeah. a sudden, you know, all of their children are back in or, you know, they had one or two children away and now they're finding their house full again. So it's, it's really interesting yeah. seeing the dynamics of what's going on. Of course, our school, um, private school, uh, Governor Hogan made a decision that I, I can appreciate and I thought was great. He said, uh, you know, we're not going to leave it up to the counties to make decisions for schools, but schools will become uh, independent if they believe that they can open safely and, and operate in a safe manner. We're going to give them the freedom and flexibility to do that. And, uh, yes. you know, as a private school, I can I can truly appreciate where that's coming from because, I mean, quite honestly – you know, private education is, it's a lot of money, Greg, you know, you've had your oh, children yeah. in and out of private education over the years. And so, uh, you know, trying to figure out, okay, what now are we going to be able to offer to parents that, you know, the, the public school would not be able to offer to them because I mean, it's, it's right. going to be remote. And so, uh, thankfully we're allowed to physically be open, which, which does fulfill, a need because there are parents oh, who sure. have to go back to, you know, who have to go back to work. They're not being given an option to work remote. And so we're able to open and provide that place. And so we have uh, tons of procedures that we are putting in and that we are establishing in order to um, keep as many people distance and, and safe and, uh, you know, guarded as we can over this next year. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And uh, you, Nathan, I, I thought that that's the private school's most attractive feature, right? Because they are free yes. um, in most states, I believe, to kind of make their own independent decision for what's best. And uh, I, uh, Lisa and I were saying the same thing from our private school days. We thought, man, like, what would we do when I was teaching in a private school? Because, you know, you're you know, one dude is in house A. And their kids are in public school. They're doing it online at home. They're trying to figure out how to navigate that mm -hmm. parent in house B. If the private school does the exact same thing, that house B is thinking, Hmm, I think I'll do what house A is doing and do it quote unquote for free. Right. Um, you know, so I think private schools have had to, um, you know, really think through uh, the issues in a very careful way. So, yeah. Dude, so I guess Nathan, like, when do you start? Don't you guys start? I assume what, it's post Labor Day, right? Uh, no, actually. Uh, so Joy School, uh, which is another private school in Baltimore County, they they will be starting after Labor Day. We're going to be at least right now starting the week before. So we'll start the thirty first of August. Gotcha. Um, 
which in some ways I think is is good because it allows us to at least at this point kind of prep uh, because we are private and we're kind of autonomous with some things we're looking into are we going to need another week so we've not totally ruled out the possibility of going back after Labor Day but at least sure. right now we're you know we're still on track to to go in that 31st so and gotcha we also get a few more days off than uh, even some of the other schools do so for instance we take a full week off during thanksgiving uh which not oh, that's all right. schools do that so you know going back a little early has some advantages and perks as you're into the year and it's you're just wondering when is the next vacation coming when is the next vacation coming so yeah, a little bit longer of a rest time there. Gotcha. And your kids, uh, Nathan, the other Nathan, they yes. are well. Yeah, they're they're school age, of course, right? Yeah, or, and they, yeah, they are. Uh, Johnny's going to third grade, and Muzi um, will be in. She's going into uh, first grade this year, so they both will. And we and we're getting updated things like all the time. You know, it's basically like every other day there's an update coming through the update basically reads yeah. like still don't really have a plan, but <laughs> right here, here's what we're think is going to happen. And Dude, I've been doing that at church for five months. Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> been doing it everywhere pretty much. And um, guys, everything's still in limbo. Yeah. But, okay. Um, so yeah, we're, we will be, we've, we've set up areas and stuff for them and they have their laptops and, uh, the big thing that will be different is that I'm still curious to see how this will all shake down, but they're planning. They, they said something like it's going to be, you know, between two to three and a half hours of classroom quote unquote, you know, um, time every day. And that was, that was supposed to be sort of scaled between pre-kindergarten up to 12th grade, but I think it's basically pre-kindergarten and kindergarten have the two hours and then everyone else gets three and a half. So from first grade all the way up. Uh, Now that's the kids previously had like a half hour a day when they were just sort of trying to get everybody, you know, kick the can down the road from that March to June Uh, timeframe. But now, uh, so everything will be a little bit more formalized. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but I think we're as prepared for it as we can be on our end. I think that, uh, you know, I think that everything will still be in a state of flux. All the things that we're all talking about here are attempts we're all going to make, right? And then we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, Greg, I want to, I want to transition a bit and and we're going to talk about uh, a lot of different things on here. I think uh, relating to this more specific uh, aspect of COVID that we've been talking about, but I want to talk to you about, um, what's been going on in the church, um, the past several months. And, um, there are some churches that are making decisions, you know, Hey, we're going to get together and we're going to meet and we're going to, you know, be able to do that. Uh, particularly up in, uh, Harford County that was, you know, mm-hmm. opened up quite a bit before. Um, I don't even know if it's opened up in Baltimore County yet or not. Um, yeah, I'm not sure, dude, if it is, um, because there the county executive has – well, I guess all the county executives could exercise their own prerogative. Yes. But here in Harvard County, which is a bit more rural, yeah. um, a bit more. I mean it's definitely you know, not exactly uh, the sticks. But, uh, yeah, there's uh, more quote-unquote freedom up here, I think, for organizations, churches, et cetera, to open should they choose to. And 
Uh, of course, we haven't yet mm-hmm. um, in any full permanent way. Um, but, you know, our, 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 our mutual buddy, Steve Hartland, mm-hmm. you know, who's only where I'm in the church, build, our church building today. What is he? 20 minutes away. Yep. They've been open for better, maybe over a month, maybe six weeks now. Now they've, they've done it where at least initially they didn't have kids. Uh, they actually asked their families who have kids under 10 to extend the powder and, and just join virtually. I, I haven't talked to Steve in a few weeks. They were going to change that at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had their reasons, etc. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think, churches are yeah doing different things um all around us i check almost every day yeah can you can you talk to us a little bit about um cfc and their decision to hold off right now um you know obviously i don't want to get you know you know a lot of pastors up in the harford county area so i don't want you to kind of get in their minds and speak for them but you know can you speak to us about cfc and their decision well well, cfc i was just gonna say this is just this is such a divisive uh, thing all around, you know, the, I mean, all around the world, essentially, not even around the country, but around the world, this is such a divisive thing, you know, churches opening, closing, you know, their decision to, to do whatever they're doing. And so, you know, talk to us as a pastor about your thought process for your congregation that you're in charge of there in Forest Hill. Thank you, Nathan. Well, I was just going to say the CFC, uh, there's a lot of churches doing different things. We're doing uh, what the Lord uh, wants. Um, <laughs> so I just, you know, I like to just kind of make it so we're doing what God himself uh, has sanctioned. Uh, <laughs> so um, actually, Nathan, let me ask you this first. Uh, yeah. We're recording on a Thursday. Yeah. When do you intend this podcast to air? <laughs> That that actually Um, might speak to how much I go into depth. Here's the deal. I can go ahead and I can – I can postpone this until after uh-huh. Sunday because I still haven't released the one that Nathan and I recorded last week. So oh, yeah. I did I, want okay, to good. ask you about that on air. Yeah, but okay. well, you know, hey, yes. that's how we do things, <laughs> well, Nathan. <yeah. laughs> in, in that case, dude, let, let me just tell you, um, since March 15th, you know, our last Sunday, like most uh, churches, I think, in, in the U.S. Yep. Uh, and probably other places, you know, March 8th was kind of a last Sunday. It was a month yeah. before Easter. Um, you know, I, I, like most people, I think we all have this thought that uh, this might be a few weeks, you know, kind of get this thing settled down a little bit and then return to quote unquote normal safely. And then you're missing Easter. And uh, there may have been a handful of churches around the country that opened on the Easter, but not many. Yeah. Um, Easter was, a, I think, a 99% virtual event for most people that participated and anyway, this year, so we, oh my goodness, uh, then in May, our governor said churches could open at 50% capacity, kind of far earlier than, than he seemed to be telegraphing. So we have had discussions um, and prayer meetings and all kinds of uh, you know, eldership Zoom calls and all that stuff for, for uh, months now. A few things that have happened along the way, you know, two of our elders um, each lost their their mother to COVID, um, mm-hmm. which is really striking to me. We're not a large church, you know, we're, we're a few hundred. And, um, the fact that two of our elders, one, one, uh, was in a assisted facility in Pennsylvania 
and the other's el uh, elder's mother was in uh, her own housing in Virginia. So neither was in Maryland, but you know, we felt the direct effect of yes. that. Yep. Um, we have a young lady, Nathan, that yeah, I think you actually know, I could talk about her after uh, the podcast, who's a nurse. She's in her mid twenties. She's super healthy. Um, no preexisting conditions that she's aware of at least. And I may have mentioned this on the last podcast, actually, she uh, got very, very sick with it. Um, was in bed, I think for 18 days and probably she's 10 or 20 years older. I, I, I would imagine she would have been in the hospital, but she was so strong, so young. I talked to her last week. Um, uh, she's actually getting married. I'm going to marry, uh, her and her fiance, uh, in a few months coming up here, Lord willing. And, uh, She's still having some some complications. Um, you know, she's generally back to normal, but there's definitely been some long-term uh, effects she's had. Uh, we have four guys that have been doing some work in the church, uh, in the building, you know, for when we do kind of resume Sunday services. Uh, one guy's new. I don't think he was coming before COVID. He, he sort of came in um, virtually at, shortly after COVID started. And he and a few other guys have been on a work crew doing some painting and some plumbing. And this young guy got tested. He was positive. So the other three guys had to get tested and they've all come back negative. Fortunately, hmm. he was sick, not terribly. He said he felt like he had, you know, the flu, uh, was in bed a few days. Um, was on the phone with the doctor, obviously quarantined the full 14 days and, uh, is free to move about now. So those are the things we've been factoring. Um, we did a survey a few months ago, uh, you know, via email on our church list. Um, and we have decided, and I'm going to announce it Sunday mm -hmm. in a special message. So by the time this is out, it's been announced. Right, um, right. Uh, that we are going to extend our largely virtual option through the month of October. And I'm going to say there on Sunday that uh, I've actually already recorded the sermon, um, so it's ready to go. But I say there that, uh, hey, I know some of you hear this and you're relieved, you know, um, because I have conversations with people. Out. Some of you hear this and you're ticked off. Uh, and I understand that, too. And I just try to talk through our perspective isn't political. You know, we're it, it, and we're not, you know, we'll probably talk about uh, is there something happening in Southern California with a church out there? Yeah. Um, <laughs> might be something happening. Might I can't be something that going name, on there. <laughs> yeah, it's like Don Don McGrunter or something, but uh, he's there's McGruber. a dude out there. Right, McGruber. <laughs> McGruber. Oh, that, we need to drop that sound effect in. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, it's a hot issue right now. For us, like, we, we could meet. The, the governor's given us. I mean, we could, we could defy the 50% you know, rule or guideline, but we've just looked at it honestly, guys, in terms of our mission um, and just thought, what are we required to, to do? Um, and we think the scriptures are far more clear about the mission of the church than the meeting habits of the church. Um, and what do we do? And we really just are honestly trying to buy a little more time. So we're going to have a couple more, outdoor services in the fall, uh, I, at least two, we're talking about a third as well for September and October. Um, you know, so we, we don't lose all of that kind of corporate togetherness. We're really going to be emphasizing groups, smaller groups that meet in backyards, and 
places where people can consent to socially distance and all that good stuff. So that's how we've landed um, right now. I talk too much, guys. So jump in or uh, comment away or ask away. Yeah, no, I think I think that's great. Um, I think it it's it's disappointing for sure because, but I think it's supposed to be, you know, I think if, yeah. you know, I think if in my heart the meeting like, together is, or the lack of meeting together is disappointing. Yes. Not Greg's decision. Yeah. yeah not Greg's decision. <laughs> Correct. Just to clarify. <laughs> yes. Sure. The lack sure. of meeting. You guys could say it. I am disappointing <laughs> just in my essence and nature. Yeah. That's what you guys are saying. I get that. And nobody would disagree. <laughs> Oh man, but it, it's supposed to be because we are we are created to be in community with one another, regardless of how large or small that community of uh, believers is. We we are created to be in that, and so it is it is sad not physically being with people like that. But as you said, Greg, you know, Scripture talks far more about the idea of who we are supposed to be as believers in the mission of the church than it does that physical um, get together, you know? And I think about um, going, going back since, since you brought it up, I I was able to go online and not just read news articles, but I listened to, um, you know, uh, John MacArthur's uh, his, what he says um, and how he presented things. I, I'm a little sad and disappointed that, you know, they're choosing to die on this hill. Um, Uh Because I think when you look at the greater mission and and the the church and how truly was persecuted in the first century, and even now the church around the world that is truly being persecuted, um, I think this is kind of a, a poor decision to make. That's, that's my thought. That's my opinion. Um, and I, I want to, you know, get that out there because there are Christians who literally, if they were to be caught meeting together would lose their lives and the government has not said you cannot do anything to meet together. I mean, come on, you can't tell me that there isn't a church in the middle East or there isn't a church in China that wouldn't be psyched if their government said, Hey, you guys are only allowed to meet virtually. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. You, you can't, you can't tell me that they would not be stoked and psyched to have that happen. Um, and, that's a great point. And the government is not sitting here saying you can't meet, you can't come together. They're just saying there are certain precautions and procedures. There are certain things that we're going to require you to do that. I mean, as far as I know, California has allowed outdoor gatherings. And so what, why not just gather outdoors and, and have your church service outdoors? Why does it have to be actually in the physical building? And so, you know, Greg, I, I, you know, I do, I appreciate what you said and, and, you know, how you spoke about that. Nathan, your, your thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what you said, Greg, uh, the way you presented it. The thing that's about all these situations is I think that from a Christian perspective, if I'm looking at it, each one of these decisions has to be made thoughtfully in prayer and, and 
thoughtfully in consideration of your congregation and those that you are speaking to by the actions you make, right? I mean, that's what all of our decisions, and I imagine, Greg, as a pastor, you're always considering those sort of three things. I feel like a lot of the things that we are witnessing on this larger level speak to, and if I, if I, I don't want to come out and make blanket statements, but speaks to something that is a result of having so much social media and having so much access to everybody's act at our fingertips is a lot of it feels like stunts. I mean, I'll be honest, the MacArthur right. thing feels like a stunt. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a stunt that if you're asking me, hurts a little bit of his witness, not necessarily his Christian witness, but it it makes it look like it's one thing. And I don't know. There's so much conspiracy theories out there. I understand the desire to be a little paranoid about things. There's always been this push and pull. There's been this constant concern. I feel like what we see with a lot of modern Christianity is the desire to integrate as much Christianity into the government as we can possibly get. And, but we want the government to not touch us at all or ever. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a weird tug and pull because I don't agree with either side. Right. Say, and I don't know that scripture is really behind MacArthur on this. Uh, Not just him, but it's, I don't know. I don't want to use him as a, as a standard bearer here because I don't know that he's, he's far from the only one or the only one dealing with this issue. It's just that I, when I see these things happening, I don't necessarily see someone standing behind them saying the same things you just said, Greg, saying that right. these decisions came. Uh, it's more of an entitlement. I hear entitlement. I don't hear love per se. Right. Uh, I'm yeah. not going to say this in every case, but I think that the, 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 the ones that are showing up, the loudest voices I see on Facebook have seemed to have wandered off the path and are kind of off in the bushes a little bit, as long as, as much as it it applies to what's the Christian response here. Now there are plenty of churches I know that have opened up in capacities are seeking to keep their congregation safe. They're seeking to do what's reasonable within the context that they are living in in their state yeah. and things like that. I'm not saying count out of the government. I just, it, a lot of this feels like stunts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say guys now that it's out there, I agree with everything you guys just said. I, there's so many facets to the MacArthur thing. I'm actually trying to economize my words here a bit to, to land in a, in, in a place that'll be helpful. I guess the, the first thing, uh, I think uh, what you just said, Nathan, just now, about the rights. Uh, and we've talked about this before, haven't we, Brother Bell, since the beginning of the podcast? <laughs> yeah. that the um, I, I don't know. I just always get uncomfortable when Christians are pounding their chest talking about their rights. I... I, I I, I know we have a national history, we have things, but that gets so subtly equated with our faith in these imperceptible ways. And I just, can you ever picture Jesus banging his fist on a table, demanding his rights? Um, you know, th- that itself, I just find so off-putting and so contrary to the the flavor and the, the uh, tone of, of Jesus' life and uh, the gospel. That's one thing. The other thing that stands out to me in the MacArthur thing that I am trying to address carefully, mm-hmm. guys, I have, I'm on Twitter every day. I do a little search every day uh, just to see where that whole issue stands, because I think it's representative of the things we're talking about today and the, the differences among Christians in America. And I, every time, thank the Lord, resist the urge to weigh in uh, and put something out there for public consumption, because I know what will happen. You know, the, the, the blood will be in the water and and uh, the sharks will get there quickly. But I 
have been trying, I've been doing these devotions this week. Um, I, I, ever since COVID began, I do these little five to 10 minute daily devotions Monday through Friday uh, for the most part. And this week I just sent an email to the congregation and said, Hey, I'm going to be preaching a special message next Sunday about our plans moving in the fall. So I'm trying to just not have people parachute into that message. And I've been asking in my devotions this week, the question, what did the ancient church look like? So I'll tell you guys real quickly, some of my takeaways, this is what I've seen. Um, I find zero evidence where God ever prescribes Sunday morning worship that is weekly, consistent in a building. Um, I see when the believers met, they almost met for centuries uh, in homes. I think that was the norm. Mm -hmm. And the large group gathering happened sometimes, Solomon's portico, uh, until persecution came in Acts 8 and dispersed them through the Roman Empire. Um, the, the lecture hall at Tyrannus in Ephesus, Paul was there for two years every day teaching. That must have been amazing to get Paul's distilled teaching, you know, for two years every day. But then he left because the, the spirit had called him on to go to Jerusalem. Um, so that ended. So what I've said is in our day and age, we're used to big church as real church and small groups. You know, we've all led or done small groups um, are often seen as optional ancillary where it looks to me in the first century, the pattern was probably the reverse of that. Mm. Um, I'm convinced they met for the first century or more at night because lover boy was right. Everybody's working for the weekend. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it was, Sunday was a work day. Yeah. And uh, you look in Acts 20, uh, they're breaking bread, at which Luke's phrase there seems to be formulaic. He seems to be describing a custom. They're breaking bread. That dude, Eutychus, falls asleep by the window, falls out the window, three stories, dies. Paul, Paul goes down, presumably raises him from the dead, and goes back upstairs and keeps preaching. Come on. <laughs> That's like... That's Paul Chuck Norris, the apostle right there. It's just this <laughs> incredible story. But the, what's there is that they seem to be uh, um, meeting at night. Yeah. So what I'm trying to help people see is, whoa, listen, the Bible gives us scant evidence of what the early church looked like. The little bit we can ascertain, it looked radically different than the way we do church. And I have no issue with the way we have done church in the West for centuries because it's worked pretty darn well. Yeah. But I do have an issue when people are taking to social media and saying, John, I love what John, he is standing up for what God's called us to do. And I'm thinking, well, what, what do you mean by that? He's because just standing up for the things we've done for so long. We can't remember when we didn't do them. Exactly. He's standing up for a, a way, a model of doing, doing church. The other aspect I'll throw in there with MacArthur, I think that we all sense, there's one other necessary ingredient you have to add to the mix to match MacArthur's approach and commitment. And that is, and a lot of people do, you money, have money, to Money, 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 money. Well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, dude, I, I do want to comment on that. But you have to believe that COVID-19 is hype, which I think we talked about in the last, po a lot, last podcast. A lot of people do. A lot of my friends do. I, I talked to a dude yesterday. You and I both know, Nathan. Uh -huh. You lived pretty close to him at one point. Who will, without any apology, say this whole thing is hype. Flu season's worse. And listen, he believes it. I don't spend much time trying to disabuse people when they're uh, of those notions when they have them. I just listen and say, okay, I hear what you're saying. But you have to make so many prior commitments 
to end up where MacArthur's ended up. And a lot of people have made it. You have to make the commitment that it's hype, which is why nobody there is wearing masks, which mm-hmm. I, with you guys, I, I don't understand. Um, but I do, if I really, oh yeah, they collectively think this is hype. So suddenly MacArthur, who I always viewed as this apolitical, I'm going to preach the scripture that's in front of me. I honestly feel the MacArthur of the last three years and in the last three months in particular could be an anchor on Fox News. Um, every interview I've seen, he talks about the uh, our amendment, our First Amendment rights to you know assemble freely. He's um, not the only not- one that seems to have made that metamorphosis. Yes, I agree. It's, it's disheartening. I will say that to me, that is disheartening. Yeah, yeah, me, me too. So I, I see these things happening, and what I'm concerned about is the lack of charity. And when you've got people taking to social media saying. Would that every church have the, the courage of John MacArthur to do what does? I'm like, can we say that I, until I hear a church that says, hey, we don't care about the Great Commission. The Great Commission's on hold until we get a vaccine. Now, I've, I'm rib- I've never heard anybody say that. If I did, I'd go to the mat for that one mm-hmm. and say, what? Yeah. Uh, the Great Commission <laughs> hasn't changed. <laughs> we are still to teach and disciple the found and still reach out and influence the lost. Yes. Um, and we, we have to do these things as a church. We have to find ways. The first century church was this highly adaptable entity. That's what I'm seeing the more I look at the book of Acts mm-hmm. that wasn't governed by a meeting schedule. Yeah. Like they were governed by their mission and they, they just adapted the resources available. I, I'm personally a believer that Paul's jaw would have hit the ground if he knew there was such a thing as Zoom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and did you? I, that's what I believe. I think yeah. Paul would have plundered that technology uh, in a heartbeat for the sake of connecting people. And when, when he would say, I'm with, I can't be there present, but I'm with you in spirit. I think he would have said, and I'm also with you by zoom. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, Friday night sorry, at nine 30. I, I told Lisa I was going to do this podcast. And she goes, Oh, you're so, you've got so much. You're going to preach. I said, I won't preach. I just did. You can edit it, Nathan, as you will. <laughs> Let's edit it to make it sound, say something. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to sound so much pro- worse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Suddenly yeah. pro-demon alien. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. Uh, I love it. Yeah. No, brother, I think, Greg, I think you're so right, though. Like, there's, we have lost, and, and, and let's face it, I mean, this has been, this is, has been in our DNA since the founding of our country. I mean, oh, th- sure. this is this is what our co- country was founded on. I mean, it wasn't like everyone was unanimously deciding, hey, we need a revolution. There were those pastors who were teaching and preaching that we need to be submissive to the authority that is over us, that this is not what we are supposed to do. And so, you know, the the side that won out was we are going to stand up for our rights. And, yeah. you know, I don't. I don't want to be one of those people that that looks back on history and, and tries to make judgments based on what happened then. I mean, because the events of what happened then, um, I I am here now in America, and and I'm very thankful for that. I've I've been all over the world. Um, I was when I was 15, I was almost thrown in jail in Cuba, and so I know the the precious freedoms and rights that we have here in America 
But when do we as believers say, you know what, I'm going to put my rights and I'm going to put my freedoms aside for the sake of the gospel? Isn't that what Paul talks about? Um, I was, I, I'm reading through the book of uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and you know, one of the things that Paul talks about is, is the fact that, you know, as Christians, the things that we eat and drink can be a st- stumbling block and can be offensive to people in the name of the gospel. And so if that's the case, just don't do it. Don't let yeah. your rights become a stumbling block. And so shouldn't we as believers even more so consider that as we're looking at our rights and freedoms here in America? Again, the government's not saying don't meet. They're just saying you need to come up with alternative ways to meet while right. this thing is going on. I mean, again, let's face it. You have multi-billion dollar organizations within within the sporting community, within you know professional sports that have shut and closed down. Right. If that's the case, can we at least acknowledge that there is something going on here, whether, whether you think it's a giant conspiracy or, what, or whatever? Can you at least acknowledge that if, if the, the billion-dollar sporting industry and the billion-dollar entertainment industry is willing to shut down yeah. and willing to set you know, all that aside, there is something going on? Something. I think that's an excellent point, dude. I, well, I, Matt Smith made a good point, too, who's also been on this podcast for, you know, pastoring with him. He made a great point. Isn't the usual talking point, right? I'm being careful here. I, I don't want to make this pejorative. It's just the fact the usual kind of what I think of as your kind of white, middle and upper middle class conservative talking point is public schools are what? Government indoctrination boot camps, right? Mm-hmm. So I have had a hard time believing that there is some national conspiracy to uh, infringe upon the church uh, when the schools have also been shut down. Like yeah. it, it seems to me that if the schools were shut down, I mean, if the schools were open seats, see, they need to keep those open because those are the indoctrination boot camps to fill, fill the brains of these kids with all this uh, secular slop. Uh, we'll shut down the church. But I, I, to your point, Nathan, I see you're right. The sports, I mean, the college football industry um, you know, is it, they're falling like dominoes right now. And that is a lucrative business, which is what made Penn state such a corrupt institution years ago under, uh, uh, Joe Paterno and, and, and the elites there, because people were turning a blind eye to just the most despicable yeah. stomach turning stories of abuse of children. Why? Because it was so lucrative. Yeah. And that was one school that made so much money. Yeah, I don't think you can disconnect the money from these conversations because, yes. by and large, a lot of the ones making headlines are not just, you know, we've said the stunt thing, but they are definitely in a position where there's money tied to it, you know. Um, yes. Now, that's not to say that some little smaller church somewhere who sees all these other churches behaving this way, well, they'll follow suit because of this feeling of, well, MacArthur's my hero or whatever, you know, and um, I don't personally buy into that. I it, one thing I wanted to ask, Greg, first off, all I think a lot of these people need to do is get a job with the government in order right. to understand that government conspiracies that posit this vast, well-oiled machine with nefarious schemes, you work yeah. anywhere government-funded for about a month, and you will be very much disabused, I think, of that idea. But yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, government we, is us, We can't right? promise I getting the point. bathroom cleaned yeah. at where I work. Right. And... <laughs> 
But yes. and I understand that's not you know, but I do. I, I this is obviously a whole different topic for a podcaster in general. But I do question. I think we all have to be careful of our own persecution complexes, you know, and I think that the persecution, that's not to say that you are truly being persecuted because I'd have to say that probably very little in my life. Have I ever been persecuted? Uh, I've never been persecuted in any way in which the definition would align with, you know, a Christian martyr or somebody like that, or someone who's even faced any real resistance where their life or their livelihood or any number of other things were truly in jeopardy. And I have never faced that here uh, right. in my life personally. And I don't know that any of, maybe some of us have, we've maybe those threats, like you say, you're in another country, but I'm talking about here in America. I don't know that I've ever faced what you could really call persecution. People yep. making fun of me, people belittling me, maybe a boss looking at me a little differently because they thought I believed one thing over another. Sure, but I'm not so certain. I, do you get the feeling, Greg, that when we find ourselves in these situations, very tenuous, very uncertain times, that sometimes, and I see this, unfortunately, I see it a lot within the Christian community, they seem to want to go to, if it's not the conspiracy theory, it's the idea that we're going to be persecuted, that we're going to be, yes. uh, that someone's going to move against us. And that fear, it seems it, it seems very flimsy in terms of like any kind of, like assuredness, Every, everyone's coming for us, you know, and the minute things start looking a little off kilter, we start looking at the ways in which the government or somebody is going to come for us and for our rights. What I find is anytime I've ever been in a place of high anxiety like that, I'm very rarely ever like considering others. And so how much of this, Greg, we talk all these little nuances, how much of this comes down though, uh, all the other stuff aside to loving your neighbors, your fellow Christians, your fellow people in your church and your fellow in your community in making these decisions about to open or not to open. How much of it is really that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, great points there, Nathan. I think it, it should be. That's what we've tried to keep as our, our main filter, uh, through which we process all these conversations and decisions, um, loving our neighbor, both our, each other, you know, let it begin with the household of God type of sentiments and outside of the community. Like if you, if, if we really stayed fixated on that, Oh, uh, and to that point, let me come at this from a side angle. What I've been paying attention to, I mean, you got to put up with a lot of F bombs and a lot of crude expressions, but if you watch non-Christian people's response to MacArthur, to go back to him again, um, uh, as far as I can tell, are you watching non-Christian be... people do anything, Greg? Right. <laughs> That's right. I can't do that. Got to be watching only Kirk Cameron endorse things. But I look at um, I look at the Twitter and Instagram comments, etc. And it's interesting. The majority of people, even if it's just perceived that aren't religious, find what he's doing unconscionable. And I'm surprised that doesn't matter to people more, right? Because they're the ones I'd like to think we're ultimately trying to reach. Um, so their perception is important because it's a, it should be, I think, a platform which we meet them and share the gospel with them. But 
here's what I think is happening on the persecution front, Nathan, what you're asking. I think this is a classic case, uh, I'll use a fancy term here, of overrealized eschatology, right? That's yes. often what, what, what different eschatologies have been accused of, you know, that, um, we're, you know, the people that emphasize too much about the presence of the kingdom now sometimes say, oh, you're, oh that's overrealized eschatology. You, you know, it's, it should be the already, not yet. And, and what I mean is, I think a lot of people want vindication. I still believe this is the only explanation I have for why so many evangelicals have gone all in for Trump uh, when they were crying about Clinton's um, uh, immoral personal choices, but seem less invested in Trump's for whatever reason. I think and I've heard I've talked to people that have actually admitted this to me. They love that he's a brawler. He's a street fighter. He punches people in the mouth. Um, Oh, but not physically. Right. Well, <laughs> not quite up to the snuff on that one. <laughs> we just like to punch, not, Twitter punch let's people. Let's not be too hasty, Nathan. We never know. But um, <laughs> I would say, who knows? But I just the physical this, prowess is what I'm talking about, not the inclination. Oh, right. Of, of course. Well, there's a desire to see vindication, justice, because for too long, you know, we've been disregarded. Our values are mocked, etc. So people are loving it. I will tell you the most disturbing clip I've seen recently in all this MacArthur stuff, and people are loving it. I'm seeing it retweeted a million times. MacArthur got up this Sunday, if you guys have seen it, and just said, well, everyone, welcome to our peaceful protest and the congregation. So what do you have there? You've got a group of people collectively, um, you know, rallying around. Yeah. Take that because they're ticked off. They have their own views on the protest. We talked about that on the last podcast I was on. And here's a guy giving us something now. And I think that people are drawn to, they want their, they want the enemies of the gospel as they see it to kind of take it on the chin a little bit. And I'm going to be be clear. The enemies of the gospel, the same people that they're trying to reach. Exactly. Right. I mean, how do we view the folks that aren't believers yet? Like, uh, I'm so concerned that it's this us against them mentality. And honestly, guys, I'll say I I know for a fact there have got to be people rooting for MacArthur to be arrested in jail, which uh, if that happens, I'm probably going to turn off social media for two weeks Um, because there's this kind of what you said, Nathan, this persecution complex. But what concerns me is when you read the book of Revelation, there's that vision of the martyrs underneath the throne and they're crying out, you know, their blood is crying out from the ground. And how long, O oh Lord, how long? And Jesus says, we have to wait until the full number comes in, which when you really step back, we think, right, the, the it's the patience of the Lord, mm-hmm. um, He's giving that opportunity for all men everywhere to repent. Um, and they, they're, it's right to want vindication. That's a natural craving, right? Which is why we love the comeuppance scenes in every, every Disney movie where Ursula finally gets it in the end. You want that moment of justice. But I'm telling you, I see a lot of premature, overrealized eschatology right now. And they're loving these guys that have these pithy sound bites. And I just can't help but think, what are these folks outside of our faith 
thinking about us. It really weighs on me. Yeah, um, it's kind of heartbreaking to me, honestly, Greg. It's something I've struggled with a lot of the past couple of years. But do you see, if if someone's listening to this right now, and they're seething maybe even what we're saying, not that they necessarily would be, but just saying, well, you're not taking into account the whataboutism. That's what I always say. What about this? And what about that? And what about but do you, I think you kind of acknowledged it there. What would you say to someone? Uh, do you see long-term damage? I'm not saying damage to the kingdom of God because God, you know, God is sovereign, but to a, an individual to, and or maybe even a larger extent to modern Christian in America behavior. Do you think having a sort of viewpoint is, dangerous. Uh, I don't mean necessarily physically dangerous, but maybe even spiritually dangerous because what you're talking about, you guys remember that I have to bring movies in eventually, right? You remember that movie <laughs> uh, with, um, I think it was Roddy, Roddy, Mc, Roddy Piper was in it. Uh, the, the John Carpenter film, uh, they live where you put the glasses on and you see the, you get to see what really is underneath yes. the infrastructure, everything. And yeah, it's yeah. easy to alien. Yeah. Monsters, and I'm not trying to say that that's that's not my perception, but talking about this concept of wearing the glasses, right? Which is when we look out, and in Scripture we're supposed to see the fields for harvest, right? And to see the people that we're supposed to, our hearts should be breaking for, and that we want to love and and reach. Uh, aren't these guys suggesting that we put on glasses that when we look through those glasses, what we are seeing is the horrible, disgusting alien that wants to put us down? and take us away and get rid of us and how much of hearing them and listening to them before you don't get to take the glasses off anymore. Do you think that's, Mm. I'm not trying to sound uh, paranoid from another end, but do you think that's a danger for a person? Oh yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, are are you asking about just so I know exactly. Do I think it's dangerous for Christians to adapt that mentality that, yeah, I, but yeah I mean, I guess really my question would be, how would you, how you best suggest to combat that mentality? Because I think oh, you would yeah. agree it's dangerous. I'm sorry, I didn't. Oh, no, no, no. I just wanted to, to make sure. Yeah, I think, um, it's funny, I was just looking at this. Second uh, Timothy 2 says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So I've always been so intrigued by that, that Paul sees a connection to our, not just what we say, but how we say it, correcting with gentleness, winsomeness, charity, that people might see us and say, you know what, I don't always agree with that guy, but man, they're kind. Man, there's a there's just a source of joy and encouragement there that doesn't feel combative. And even when he's disagreeing with me, it, it, it carries with it a, a, a whiff of grace. They might not put it that way, but you know, I'm putting it in Christian terms for us. And that he links that with the idea that the people we're trying to reach aren't the enemy, but have been influenced, or in this case, even certainly taken captive by the enemy. So that's my concern is that the people that we're called to love right now a lot of Christians just project hatred, right? The, 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 you picture a young person just inked up from head to toe. They're trans. They identify by multiple genders. They're, they're saying this and that. Like, that person isn't the enemy. <laughs> that person's not the enemy. That person uh, is the one we're called to love. 
and be gentle with Kaiwit, listen, offer them a perspective that shows that we view that they have dignity and value because they bear God's image. Um, and that the forces behind the mentality and the thoughts, people are quick to say it like, Oh no, no, I'm just going after, um, the, the, uh, the mentality. I'm like, when you're cheering the sarcastic, peaceful protesting, you're, you know what you're doing. You're putting it back in somebody's face and it feels good. Um, it feels yeah. The amount good. of things that people claim to be ignorant of on Facebook, social media, it's a wonder they can put their pants on in the morning. Right. <laughs> yes. yes, that might be the, the bell. That may be the quote, man. You might need to circle that one. I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm with you, dude. I just feel that, um, yeah, it's such a concern. And here's what is personally heartbreaking to me. And I mean, this John MacArthur was revolutionary in my thinking as a younger believer. I got still, I think he's got some really good commentaries. I think in general, you know, when you know his sort of theological underpinnings, I have some differences there, but I see uh, a real uh, acute eye for scripture and some of scripture's logic. But um, he was the first commentator I ever read when he went through Romans 13. Yeah, I think I've talked about this, Nathan, in another podcast Mm -hmm. that that is the first guy I ever thought of. I think he's saying the American Revolution may have been a violation of Romans 13. And sure enough, I've confirmed that through the years and some interviews he's done, et cetera. So keep in mind, MacArthur's the guy who, you know, the joke I've always made is, you know, we, we, we get upset about taxation without representation. And I've always said, yeah, Nero had a similar policy, decapitation without representation. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was under Nero that Paul pens Romans 13. So uh, MacArthur, I always appreciated his passionately apolitical. Um, oh, sorry, guys. I was getting a, can you hear me? Yeah. You're good. Um, I was always appreciating his apolitical kind of just the text is what matters approach. I'm like, here's a guy that was taken on the chin because, you know, he even said, look, I think in his sovereignty, we're in America and it's a country God's put on the earth. But during their watch, I don't see much justification for defying England. That's what he was saying. And I thought, wow, that was gutsy. He took a lot of heat. I knew a lot of people that hated MacArthur because of that position alone. And now <laughs> yeah. he's making up for it. <laughs> yes, because during a health crisis, a pandemic, and the governor has basically regulated numbers of corporate gathered meeting uh, in his attempt to deal with a health crisis and a potential for infection. It's like, wow. So let me, I'm like, let me get this straight. The American Revolution was bad, but this thing going on with Gavin Newsom in 2020, that's, that's, that's where we defy. I, I'm confused by it, and that's a charitable way of putting it. Um, but do you think it's just because there's think, been so much banging on the drum lately that after a while it seems like it's drowning out everything else these people ever seem to ever think or believe? Yes. Or that or pod people have removed most of the people I ever admired. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and I think there's a lot of – I mean, I, I, there are people that I, I've, I, I will never unfriend – but man, when I discovered what unfollow is, somebody told me about that. I thought it's great. There's people that post stuff. I thought this is not good for me. I don't want to have a negative attitude towards them. Yeah. But yeah. one, well, young I started lady just, unfriending because after unfollow, I was started to realize, well, I don't know what they actually are posting over there. So oh. when the government comes to want to know why I'm 
Why am I still friends with you? <laughs> That's a good point, dude. It, honestly, I can see it. it. It may get to that. But there was a, a young lady I saw last week who just, she's not part of our church, but she knows a lot of people are, and just was heralding MacArthur and just saying, if every church did this right now, no masks, every Sunday, revival would break out. I'm like, we can have okay. church at the hospital. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. Prison ministry. You know. Yes. And the other thing, guys, I got to throw this out. Am I right on this? I could be wrong. I don't normally get into debates with people on flu Just season. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm right. I've got to be right. But I, I looked this up yesterday I, I, on the CDC, and I think that I read that the average American flu season, somewhere between 35 and 45,000 deaths. I, I we could let the viewers check. I could be wrong on that. Feels I, right I, to I, me, so it is. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so am I right? Aren't we like four or five times bigger than that now? Aren't we, at the time we're recording, like 150 or 60 or something um, in terms of deaths in the U.S.? I don't know. I, I, I know I'm not saying it's the Spanish flu. I'm saying it's new. We've never seen it before. And it's it's infected, affected, and even in some cases uh, killed a pretty significant number of people. And I just, I can't hide my personal convictions on that matter. I, I think it's a significant issue. I, I granted 10 years from now, we all might look back for the benefit of hindsight and say, ah, now we understand it better. We could have done X, Y, and Z, but that's my two. And I'm also not to say that every, every choice being made right now, I don't necessarily say, oh, this is absolutely right. This is, I do think that for the most part, what I'm observing is people trying to make the best decisions they can. And I'm not necessarily seeing personally, maybe because I do live here in Maryland. I feel like the governor's trying to do what he can. I mean, he is always going to play playing a political game. Everyone does. Sure. I would say at least as far as Maryland's concerned, I think we can, we can mostly say that I feel I'm seeing a person who's trying to take care of their constituency and take care of the people and do the best they can balancing personal freedoms with safety. Now that may not be the case for everybody, but I don't necessarily see these arcane systems set up that everyone else does. These uh, dark straw men behind the scenes that really want to do this. And it's all about undermining Trump or it's all about achieving this thing or making sure we can all get the mark of the beast through the, uh, you know, vaccination process or, Whatever, and I know some of that's obviously silly, but I it's funny because I would it's not funny. And I, one thing I do want to say because I'm sure there are people who do think that a lot of this is overblown, who probably mm-hmm. think that wearing a mask everywhere isn't necessarily saving a lot of anything, you know, that maybe it isn't really all that worthwhile. They maybe be personally wishing that things were different at some of these high levels. I will say this. I do appreciate the people who think all those things and, and I know some of them and who are still making decisions to wear masks, not so much because they think it's helping anybody. And I disagree with them, but because they recognize that it is doing a service to others that they're around who Mm -hmm. maybe aren't feeling comfortable about it or who need to be, you know, and, and, and demonstrating some kind of leadership, trying to look out for people who are more susceptible. Uh, That goes the same thing with churches, people who are making decisions, not based off of just what they absolutely think is right, but what they think is going to be best and serve the people around them. And I know people who don't necessarily think this thing is a hoax, but think it's been greatly overblown and are still choosing to do a lot of this 
anyway. Yeah. You know, because of their care for people. And that I can appreciate. It's less, I care so much what you think, but it's when you're allowing these thoughts and the selfishness to sort of rise to the fore and, and drown out everything else. Yes. Yeah. Well said that goes back to uh, what you said, Nathan, about, um, um, you know, Paul's the, the giving up the rights, the privileges for the sake of another. I mean, really it's that simple. I, I baptized uh, a, a couple of teens the other night um, and another young lady in our church, it, it uh, woman, uh, and Nathan, right near, uh, open Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, their house is the first one up that driveway, open Bible, and they've got an outdoor pool. I just asked, she asked me if I was comfortable, which I really appreciated. And I'm thinking, well, here I am talking about the mission of the church, which includes baptism. Mm-hmm. And I said, yes, I, I will baptize them. Are you comfortable? Um, she did tell me that they've been nowhere but home and we kind of compared, uh, you know, recent itineraries. Mm-hmm. Uh, I told her what I've experienced. Cause actually one of my kids was tested about a couple of weeks ago, came back negative cause he had a few symptoms was around another kid who was around a counselor who, who got at a camp who yep. tested positive. Yep. So we did the whole drill. Um, you know, we, we basically stayed in for the, um, well, from the time we did it till we got the negative, we, we, we didn't have to do the full 14 days. But I wore a mask at that baptism. They didn't need me to. They don't want me to. But I knew it would be filmed. Um, one, I just thought it was a why not? One more precaution. I'm an epidemiologist might say it doesn't make a difference or it does. I don't know. It's, a, it's something a dumb guy like me can do. But I also wanted to remove as much apprehension to somebody else watching that thinks, hey, maybe I should get baptized. You know, and so I thought if they saw me wearing a mask, that might be one more uh, barrier of reticence that gets removed. Um, you know, and, and I just think it's about loving people well. Um, and, you know, what's what's what does love require? What's the most lavish extent we could go to to show people? Listen, uh, like the way I've always said it is if our mission um, is to reach the world, I don't want to get the missionaries sick that do that job. And I don't want to get the mission field sick. That, you know, yeah, so yeah. I can't think of anything more counter to our mission than sickening the folks that we want to send out or the folks that we want to reach. Um, so to do all that we can to fulfill our mission, um, but also show a commitment to love our neighbor. To me, I, I'm surprised that it's been as controversial in some circles as it has been. And, Last thing, I will say that I wish there'd be a retraction, not that there will be, but I've now listened to it multiple times in context. MacArthur does say in his sermon just a couple of weeks ago, um, a lot of churches don't understand what the church is and don't shepherd their people, which he equated with, you know, opening up Sunday morning, et cetera. And those things aren't helpful because now, I mean, I, I still think he's right. right in his basic statement. He just might have a right. The churches right. that apply may be different yes. depending on you and me. And- uh, well said. Well said. Exactly. You can be right in theory. And For wrong a minute there, I thought, oh, wait, he had a moment of clarity, but I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel for those churches in Southern California. Nathan, this reminds me of the, the infamous now uh, KDY podcast when I was really incensed that Kevin DeYoung and I think high profile leaders like that really do have to think carefully about what they say, uh, what they communicate. 
because when you've got churches that made a decision when Easter, uh, Easter, when Christmas corresponded to a Sunday, yeah. hey, we're not going to have it. They, you know, and uh, elder teams meet, deacon teams meet, committees meet. They pray, they discuss, they 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 weigh the programs, they take their decision before God, they try to render the best decision they can, they communicate it to their people, and then one day, a guy with a strong conviction writes a blog, does a podcast, puts a little social out there, and and basically says churches are wrong that won't meet on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, now, in our day and age, I've got people being pastored by John MacArthur. And why aren't you doing what John MacArthur is doing, who's a faithful to Scripture? Why aren't you doing what Kevin DeYoung's doing that's faithful to Scripture? I just wish there was a little more charity, uh, thoughtfulness about the, the church universal. Yeah. Because um, I think it's really hard for people to, to process this when you've got all these, you know, really rhetorically charged speeches and sound bites that are out there for consumption. Yeah. Well, and I think too, you know, Greg, our whole thing when we did that was, was what you said. It was not coming down on churches who are making decisions about things that scripture clearly doesn't talk about. I mean, nowhere in scripture does it talk about what you should do if Christmas falls on a Sunday. Um, if someone can yeah. find that verse, please let me know and I'll retract my statement. Um, right. but there, you know, and I think in this case, you know, we're, we're talking about MacArthur, but that's because he's the biggest name out there doing this and, of and he's the one that's in the news. Um, and on one, on one hand, I can say how disappointed I am that he's doing this, but on the other hand, I can also extend a level of grace to say, you know what, if, if you are convicted that this is what you should be doing, um, I, I'll be bold enough to say I really, you know, I think there is a conviction there. I mean, I, I've, you know, read enough about MacArthur. And Greg, you and I have talked about this. I've never had a great deal of respect for MacArthur. Um, uh-huh. I appreciate him. But I've, I have I mean, even when I was younger and listening to things um, that he would, uh, you know, his messages on the radio and things like that, I always, I always felt there was an edge of, there was an edge of arrogance um, to the things that he was saying where I much more preferred listening to somebody like Ravi Zacharias. Um, I, I much preferred listening to, I even, I even feel, and I don't know, you know, how, um, Sproul would fall in this issue, but I even felt Sproul had a level of, um, just, just calm, fatherly, caring, that edge of arrogance. I didn't, I didn't hear in him as much. Um, yeah. and MacArthur just having that, I feel like it's difficult, you know, to justify, but at the same time, like if, if this is where, you know, he and his elders have, have sat down and they've prayed and they've thought, and this is, this is the direction they're going to go. Okay. But there, there's gotta be a realization that not all churches are going to follow suit and they're not heretics for not following suit. Um, yeah. You know, and yeah, so extending absolutely. that same level of, you know, um, love and grace to, um, to their, to them and their church as well saying, okay, I, I disagree with you and that's fine, but please understand that because, you know, our church is deciding not to do this for a number of reasons doesn't mean that we're wrong. Right. 
Yeah. Right. The one thing I would add to that, though, is that I do think, and I haven't read enough about the MacArthur thing, is I, I do think with a lot of these people, I don't necessarily see them backing it up with a lot of scripture or well-thought-out scripture. You know, it seems like everybody might have the same soundbite that somebody said once. So while I'm perfectly, you know, again, truly anyone can do whatever they want, but the two problems here are one you just pointed out, Nathan, they kind of want to be the singular voice. They, they want to be the model. They don't just want to be doing what they want to do, you know. They want to be doing this so that other churches are saying, good on MacArthur, I should be doing that too. They want to be the rallying cry. And that's partially where I have a problem. And I, and I think all of us, if we were interacting one-on-one with an individual that was doing something that seemed to us foolish, while they have the, the, the uh, freedom to do so, I would always be asking them, well, how, how do you rectify that or how do you uh, synchronize that with what scripture says or what your spiritual thoughts are on it. You know what I mean? And I guess I don't necessarily see, it seems like a lot of this is being done on an emotional level and the backup is coming from something more general or uh, an extreme twisting of a scripture that barely applies as opposed to really foundational thought and process. So while I have no problem with people doing things, I am really a big proponent of questioning them about why they're doing them. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's, I'd love to see at some point almost a symposium, right? Where some profile, high profile leaders that made different decisions, talk about it and explore that a bit, you know, that, cause that demonstrates something good for the wider church too. sort of the, Hey, let me, let me push back on that. And if, if hopefully if, if, if everybody has a teachable spirit and is saying, no, I, I see that we could have factored that in a little bit more than maybe we did, you know, it would be so healthy for the church to realize we can be strong on what God clearly states. Like nobody is debating the great commission right now. They're just debating whether they should meet on Sunday mornings, which again, to go back to where I was at the beginning drives me nuts because it was such a, it's, we're, we're arguing our church culture. We just think that it's God speaking from Mount Sinai. Um, you know, I'm like, well, there were no buildings for right. almost 300 years. So this couldn't have even been a point of discussion. Uh, but we right. were so used our whole lives and our grandparents and great grandparents and going quite a ways back. I will admit the Sunday morning public building open to everyone has served a lot of people. And I understand the attachments to it. I mean, that's been my life for my adult life has been always waiting for the next Sunday and always being back in the church building. I get it. But to not be able to step back and say, Hey guys, seismic cultural shift right now is happening and let's unite around our mission and you know not just don't hear anyone saying hey we're good with this we'll stay this way forever and seeding something as far as i know everybody most of everybody is saying can't wait to get back really miss it of course the legitimate like heartache you know that sort of thing but uh that's that's not necessarily what all this is about when it comes to decision time yep very good exactly guys this has been uh this has been great i'm really glad we were able to get together and uh, explore this take a look you know more deeply at uh, the things that are going on in the world and um you know greg um i don't know what you bring to the table but what you do bring is great um so (laughs) well thank you bro i was just about to say 
Uh, I wish don't call me Greg. Remember, my name is Steve Hartland. So anybody that didn't, didn't like what I shared, uh, look up Steve Hartland, Pastor Steve Hartland, John Central comments too. Right, and direct your comments to him because uh, he's. I, I'm ready. Steve you can Hartland. contact the Reverend James King. At- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder what King would say in all this. Yeah, it's funny. I was good idea. The other night, I was watching Oh Brother Where Art Thou with my kids, and there's the there's the character that's up for public office at the end who's screaming, and I was like, he sounds a lot like the Reverend James King. And I, you know what he does? He was inspired exactly in some mean. way. <laughs> yes, I love it, man. I love it. Uh, this was great, guys. You, you gave me my intellectual workout of the week. I am now Greg. off to to Bed Bath and Beyond to uh, obtain a uh, an anniversary gift. Nice, nice. I think I got it. All right, guys. Well, we're going to go ahead and sign off Go straight to the beyond section. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, Guys, we just rocked the Casbah. These go to 11.